We'll let the teenagers get out. That's good. We got a, they're going to have a full class down there. We got a fuller class in here. That's good. My dad would call that guy a slow learner. Anytime you did something that you already got in trouble for, he'd go, you're a slow learner, aren't you? And then you'd get in trouble. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember from last week, we are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We had to cut it short uh, because of time. We're going to finish up chapter 3 this morning and then uh, get into, hopefully, chapter 4. That might be a little, uh, a little zealous. We might just end up finishing chapter 3. But um, anyway, I wanted to tell you all yesterday, me and Mr. Forbes, and this is Something, those of you who cannot make it out uh, on Saturday visitation uh, or for whatever reason or, um, you know, maybe you're wanting to do it, it's, it's encouraging. Me and Mr. Forbes knocked on the door yesterday, and, uh, and I say this, there's a reason I'm telling you this story. It's because as I was studying a little bit more last night, um, I was thinking about this door we knocked on, and kind of, it very much correlates with the Corinthians. Remember, somebody help me out here. What was, uh, what was one of the main issues the Corinthians had? And what I mean by that is Paul was there for, somebody tell me how long he was there in Corinth. Just shout it out. 18 months. He was there for a year and a half, right? He leaves, goes to, good, goes to Ephesus. It's not all in vain, my whole Sunday school lesson. Somebody's getting it. He goes to Ephesus, and then from Ephesus, he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. Why was he writing the book of 1 Corinthians? Why was he writing back to them from Ephesus that quickly? What was going on? Briefly. The house of Chloe had written Paul and said, hey, we got all these issues, and we also have these questions that we want you to answer doctrinally for us. So Paul writes back, and one of the biggest issues he has is not necessarily, well, some of it was, and we'll talk about that this morning, but some false teachers were getting into the mix. And uh, <clears throat> I, I think, and we talked about this several times, that I don't think it was, remember, in uh, chapter 1, right, in verse 10, so for verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1 was the greeting and hey, thanking them for the gifts that they were using. And then verse 10, he starts into the first issue, the divisions in the church, following human leaders. And we talk about that. It wasn't necessarily Apollos' fault. It wasn't necessarily Peter's fault that they were being followed. But I do think that some of these false teachers, they may not have even been officially teachers, but they had gotten in there and tried to make these divisions by saying, hey, you, you know, we, we follow Apollos because he's a good speaker and he's uh, you know, got the, the wisdom and the philosophy of the Greeks and we like him. And others liked Peter because he was the founder of the church. Others liked Paul because he had been there discipling them for a year and a half. But I say all that to say, so we knocked on a door yesterday and the lady answered the door and she, I would say she was probably in her early 60s-ish um, Mr. Forbes said she was a young lady, but, <laughs> but she, we knocked on the door and she was heading out the door and she said, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm leaving. And I said, well, can I give you an invitation and you can put it in your house and look at it when you get home. And she said, sure, that's fine. And I said, do you have a church you go to already? And she said, I sure do, but I'm not telling you the name of it. <laughs> and I, right away I was like, oh boy. And then she was just joking. She said, no, I'm kidding. We go to Grove Avenue. 
And she said, uh, this is what I wanted, wanted the, the whole point of my story. She said, used to be Grove Avenue Baptist, but we took the name Baptist out of our church. I don't even know what we are anymore. She's like, in fact, all the Baptist churches are taking the name Baptist out of their name. Why? I don't know what we're, I don't even know what we believe anymore. And I said, you've been going to that church a long time, haven't you? And she said, yeah, a long time, which is why she's still there. And I said, was it Southern Baptist before? She said, yep, we were Southern Baptist, but we took the name away. And I say all that to say, that's kind of what was happening in the Corinthian church. Not the name, but everything that Paul had taught them, these false teachers were coming in and saying, that's, that's not important. This is important. Uh, being able to speak real uh, intellectually, that's important. And so the people started following that. And the house of Chloe said, uh-oh, Paul, we need help. We need help. And it wasn't like a quick plane ride, you know, Nitin's getting ready to go to India. If, if uh, he's going to be sent out of our church, he'll be a missionary out of our church, right? And if he really has some major issues, it's not out of the question for him to say, Pastor, I need you to come help me. And Pastor can jump on a plane, regardless of the cost, zip to India and be there in a day and a half and help him out. That's not what was going on here. Paul was, was days, if not weeks, journey away. He's not making it there overnight to help them out. So he writes a letter to answer some of these questions. All right, so a little bit more review. We are on the, getting ready to start the fourth issue that Paul is addressing. Can somebody tell me one of, you don't have to be in order, but one of the other issues that they were dealing with that Paul already addressed that we talked about, Josh? Following man's wisdom, okay? That was the, the second one we talked about, following earthly wisdom. Anybody know another one? The sin of following human leaders, right? That was the first one we talked about. And now we are on the third one. We're, we're getting ready to finish it up. But the sin of forgetting what? Does anybody remember from last week? Carnal, Carnal that was part of following earthly wisdom. Um, and we finished that last week and then started into the, the third one, forgetting the future. And I think that's something, it is important. We, we know what our future holds. We know who wins in the end. We know what we forget. And I, I preached a message a while back, um, don't forget. We forget so easily. And that's why we backslide, we drift. We forget who it is that we're serving. We forget what it is that he's called us to do. So these in, in Corinth, they were forgetting the future. And what we talked about last week, we started it, that started in verse, uh, Neha, you're right. It started in, at the end of chapter 2, talking about carnal Christians. And then, uh, and then we really got into talking about ministers. Because Paul starts right in verse 1 of chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. He's talking about what the, the, the preacher's job, the pastor's job in shepherding is. And that was one of the things we mentioned last week was it's very important for the pastor to understand who it is he's dealing with. And if his people can only handle milk, it's his job to give them milk. He's not watering down his doctrine. He's giving them the same doctrines, just giving it to them a little easier so they can understand. Um, pastor does this often. If he's preaching, he'll say, you know, uh, he'll read, read the verse and say the propitiation. And he stops and says what propitiation is. Why does he do that? Because there are newer Christians or people new to the church. He has, doesn't know exactly where we're all at. And so 
if he just says propitiation for our sins and moves along, we have no idea what it is, right? And there's kids in here and everything else. So he's, that's his job to feed with milk and then switch to meat when it's, when it's ready. We've all had kids or we've been around kids and completely understand that idea. You don't feed a baby a steak, right? But eventually, if the kid turns 12 years old and can't eat a hot dog, something's wrong, right? Same thing with Christians. If we're, if we're celebrating our 6th or 8th or 10th spiritual birthday and pastor can't get on you without you bristling up and getting all upset, there's a problem, all right? So we talked about that last week. Now, we talked about, and then we're going to get into this week's lesson, we talked about the foundation that Paul was building on. Very easy. Even, even uh, Charlie could answer this one, but what was that foundation? Pure doctrine, which is, what is the foundation? Jesus Christ, right? And he said that, let's see, where are we at? In verse uh, 11 of chapter 3. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Or as Charlie would say, Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. And so we talked about last week uh, the foundation. And then he says in verse, so... Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which we have built thereupon, he shall receive a ward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. And that's what we talked about. We finished up with this last week. Pure doctrine, uh, what the Bible teaches is, is the gold, silver, and precious stones, right? Some of these false teachers, and, and this goes for non-denominational churches, this goes across the board, some got the foundation. They got Jesus Christ. Me and Brother Nitton were talking about this last week. They got Christ. The foundation is right, but then everything they built on it, it's not, it's not sound doctrine. It doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. That's what he's talking about in verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. So uh, his, his, his works are going to be burned up. His doctrine is going to be burned up. Maybe his motives were wrong. Whatever, whatever it is, he built with wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be burned up. There's going to be no rewards. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he himself shall be saved. And then the last thing we said last week was, yet so as by fire, and the Catholics like to build the doctrine of, or their, their idea of purgatory off of this. They're going to be saved by fire. The fire is going to burn off their sins, and then they can go to heaven. And uh, Matthew Henry, I read that little piece there last week where he said, that is wood, hay, and stubble they're teaching, right? Purgatory is wood, hay, and stubble. It's a false doctrine. Um, so, starting in verse... And I jumped to the end last week, and I told you I was probably going to come back and and talk a little bit, uh, backtrack a little bit, and I do want to do that. So we have pure doctrine is gold, silver, precious stones. The polluted doctrine is the wood, hay, and stubble. And now this this morning, we're going to start with verses 13 and 14 of chapter 3, and we're going to talk about the minister's job, the preacher's job, the responsibility is to prepare himself and his people for the test. What test is that? The fire that's coming to try every man's work. Look at verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Everybody's going to see it. 
at the judgment. Verse 13, uh, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. The fire is going to be put to everything you've built on, or not on, everything you've built. The fire is going to be put to it, and that foundation is going to hold. You're going to make it to heaven. But if you built with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. So the, minute, the preacher's job is to prepare us, prepare himself, prepare his church for the test. And this is what Paul is talking about. Excuse me. He is talking to the church at Corinth to show them some of these leaders you're following are false teachers. They're, they're building on wood, hay, and stubble. And in the end, when the, when the judgment day comes, it's going to be revealed. But I'm telling you now not to follow that. That's what Paul is addressing here. All right. So to prepare for the test, the first thing is the purpose of the test. And, and what that is, is to judge the Christian's stewardship. That doesn't just mean his giving. All right. We like to talk about, you know, stewardship month or stewardship. Uh, an emphasis on stewardship is your giving. It's not just your giving. You are given gifts. You are given money. You are given time by Christ, by God. And, and we are stewards of everything that he gives us. So when we Keep our time for ourselves. We're not being good stewards of our time. When we uh, sit there, and I'm guilty of it sometimes, and I've been trying to work on this, but scrolling through social media, we're not being good stewards of our time. All right? Um, How about uh, of our gifts? If you have gifts that God has given you, he doesn't give those gifts to us. I think about this often with some of the celebrities and things that God gave them a gift. And they've used it for uh, completely selfish reasons, right? Some of, these, some of these singers and different things, that's a gift from God. But they, they're using it for their own personal gain. How much more uh, selfish is it for a Christian that has a gift, comes to a church, the body of Christ needs that gift. God gave it to you and put you in that church to use that gift, and you won't use it, okay? <clears throat> so the preacher's job is to uh, teach us that we need to be good stewards of, our, of, our, of what God has given us. Okay, and then he prepares us. And I'm gonna, we're going to look up a few verses here. I want to look at the prize for withstanding the test. Okay, um, let's see. Brother Chris, can I get you to read? 1 Corinthians 9.25. Miss Megan, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Mr. Forbes, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Brother Scott, can I get you to read? All right. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. And I forgot your wife's name. I remember her mom's name, Denise, but I can't remember your name. Annette, can I get you to read, Annette? Okay. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And we're going to stop there just for now. I got some more later. Um, but these are some of the prizes, the rewards Uh, for some of the tests that we go to. The preacher's job is to prepare us for the test. And then here's some of the rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. This is the the crown, the reward for those who strive. Verse 25. Thank you. 
Does anybody remember what we talked about in the introduction to the book? What was the corruptible crown that the Corinthians at the Isthmian Games were, were striving for? Anybody remember? Easy. Crown of what? The crown of leaves. That's what Paul's referring to here. He's saying those games that y'all do that you're so uh, excited about every other year, right? Every off year from the Olympics, you're so excited about it. You're doing it for a corruptible crown. Verse 25, he says, but we're doing it for an incorruptible crown. Uh, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, we an incorruptible. So those that are striving, those that are trying, doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. But those that are trying to live for God, those that are trying to use their gifts, that's why we have our, our kids come up and those that are learning the piano or whatever and play offertories. They're striving to use the gifts God has given them. There's going to be a reward for that. Uh, the second one is a reward for the soul winners. There is a soul winner's crown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. I don't know if it mentions uh, the actual crown here, but the idea is there. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. So this is, this is also Paul talking, and he's saying our crown of rejoicing is uh, Jesus Christ coming. But for ye, verse 20, he says, ye are our glory and joy. It's the soul winner's crown. The Bible talks about it in other places. Those that go out and win souls are what? What's the Bible say? Wise. He that winneth souls is wise because he's preparing for that fire to be put to what he's building. And it's going to be, that's gold, silver, and precious stones that he's building with. Then there's a, uh, we have to have them all S's, right? So we have strivers, soul winners, sky watchers. Sounds like something from, uh, I didn't ever watch it. What is it? Uh, what's Star Wars. That's it. Sky watchers, right? All right, but Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, there is a reward. There is a prize for those that are watching for Jesus coming. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Crown of righteousness to all them that love his appearing. Those that are watching and excited about it. I do remember, Pastor has talked about this, but I remember as a kid, um, I must have been carnal, right? But I remember thinking, man, I would like to get up to high school, you know, because you see these guys out there playing basketball, and I'm a little kid. I hope Jesus doesn't come. I want to I get to high school. Well, there's a, there's a reward for those that are looking for Christ's coming. And now that I'm older and I don't, I'm not, I'm young, Mr. Forbes, I'm young. But now that I'm a little bit older and, and there, you look back and you see, there's still, there's still things that I'm like, man, I'd like to eventually maybe get to see this or get to do this. But there is a reward for those that are saying, I don't care if I ever get to make it to that point, I want Jesus to come. And we say it, but do we truly believe it? Do we truly, is that truly our, our desires to have Christ come back? Um, there's a reward for those that are looking for that. There's a reward for suffering. James chapter 1 verse 12. Is that you, Brother Scott? James chapter 1 verse 12.
crown of life to those that endure temptation. That doesn't mean I got sick and, and I put up with it and belly ached the whole time and you know was mad at God. And that's not that's not the reward for suffering. They endured temptation. That means they 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 not powered through, but they powered through with a good attitude, knowing this is a test. This is not God punishing me. This is not God mad at me. This is, this is a test. I'm actually uh, thankful for it because there is a crown of life for those that go through that. And the last one is the crown uh, for the shepherds. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. First Peter, I want to go there because I want to read it again. But yes, thank you. There's a, there is a reward for uh, those shepherding the flock of Christ. Uh, chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, he's talking about pastors here. If you go back the verses before that, the elders which are among you, verse 1, I exhort whom, who am also an elder. And a, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He's talking about preachers. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And then those preachers that are faithful, that are doing what God asked them to do and what he called them to do. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory. So there's a, there is a reward for those that are doing that. And uh, it's not just because he's my brother or anything else, but I don't envy the job of a preacher. I'm not called to preach. I'm not called to pastor. Uh, and there is a difference between preaching and pastoring. There's a big difference. That's, there are some that are evangelists that are not called to pastor. They're called to preach. And there's a difference. But I don't envy that job. But God says those that, that are called and they do it faithfully and they shepherd the flock and prepare us for what's coming, they're going to receive a reward when the chief shepherd comes. So those are our rewards. And then chapter 3, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians. Hopefully you're still there. We haven't really moved around. Um, there is a punishment for failing the test. Chapter 3, verse 15 says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. It's a loss of rewards. Your reward, the Bible says this somewhere else, and I'm sorry I didn't look up the reference, but you'll, you'll know which verse I'm talking about. He says, those that are doing it uh, to be noticed of other people, that is their reward. They get noticed by other people. That's your reward. Good job. That fades away. Those that are doing it for Christ and completely to, to please him and to serve him, they might not get noticed here, but they're going to have a reward later. The punishment for failing this test, the punishment for not being faithful, particularly as a minister or as a preacher, but as also as a Christian, is a loss of reward. Um, so those are, that's what I wanted to finish up from last week. Uh, I think Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, I'll go there real quick because I didn't give anybody that. I wanted to read that verse. And going forward, I think I'm going to put all these verses in here. It's just, all right, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Take that crown? How does that happen? By not holding fast to what you've 
been given, what you've been taught. You can lose the reward. You can't lose the reward of salvation. You can't lose that. But you can lose your rewards that you've been sending ahead. You can lose those. All right? Now, we have a second purpose of this testing, and that is to keep the temple holy. Look at verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now we use this verse a lot to um, talk about the principle of what we put in our bodies. Not smoking, not necessarily not drinking. That's very explicit in the Bible. But not smoking, not doing drugs, that kind of thing. Uh, We're the temple of God, right? But it's more than that. And I'm, I'm going to read something to you. i got a few little uh, snippets, and these are all from Matthew Henry, but he's got good stuff. And when I'm reading Matthew Henry, sometimes I'm like, man, how does this guy, the, the, where you have to be spiritually and the um, meditation and things to, of, of meditating on God's word to go write a whole commentary of the Bible, uh, I'm impressed. Not that he was looking for that, but this, here's what he says about keeping the temple holy. It looks from other parts of the epistle where the apostle argues to the very same purpose as if the false teachers among the, Christian, among the Corinthians were not only loose livers, but were teaching licentious doctrines and what was particularly fitted to the taste of this lewd city on the head of fornication. Now remember, when we did, this, uh, when we did the introduction, we were talking about the way the Corinthians lived. They had the temple where they had thousands of prostitutes as part of their worship, as part of their religion, okay, at the temple. So you have the Corinthians Christians coming out of that. Well, then you had some of these teachers going back in and saying, yeah, that's, yeah, these, these sexual sins that they fornicate, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and that's what Paul is addressing here because we'll get to it here in a little bit, but I think it's chapter six where he says, it's been noted that some among you are, are, Take, are practicing some of these wicked sins. What? No, you're Christians. Well, they were being taught that. Some of these false teachers were teaching these licentious doctrines. It's fine. All right? So then he says about being the temple of God. Every Christian is a living temple of the living God. Think about that. Think about, we talked about the tabernacle. We went through a whole series on the tabernacle. And then Pastor Talk did a little bit after the tabernacle on the temple to kind of contrast them remember how important the tabernacle was not only to god but to the jews as well i mean the high priest couldn't go into the holy of holies with sin or he dropped dead and then as christians we come walking into church with sin in our lives with uh you know wicked thoughts maybe saturday we were involved in things we know we shouldn't be involved in we come be bopping into church with our suit on looking you know just like every other christian Every Christian is a living temple of the living God. He says this, God dwelt in the Jewish temple, took possession of it, resided in it. But by that glorious cloud that was the token of his presence with the people. Remember the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. God lived inside the the temple, inside the tabernacle. And he does that with each and every one of us. We're living temples of a living God. So Christ by his spirit dwells in all true believers. The temple was devoted and consecrated to God and set apart from every common use to holy use, to the immediate service of God. 
And this is what he says last. So all Christians are separated from common uses and set apart for God and his, his service. It's not just that, uh, oh, as Christians, we need to be using our gifts. We're set apart for that. That's sanctification, right? We are set apart to be used by God for God. How many of us are allowing him to do that? Um, and he says this lastly, we should heartily abhor and carefully avoid what will defile God's temple. That's challenging to me. Hopefully it's challenging to you. We should heartily abhor, not, ah, I can't watch that. I can't go there. I can't do this because, I mean, if, if somebody, if pastor finds out, we should heartily abhor. We should hate it and carefully avoid what will defile God's temple. And that's what pastor's preaching on constantly. What are those things? We, we read them in the Bible. We hear them preach from this pulpit. What are those things that defile God's temple? Us. Then we need to avoid them, abhor them, hate them like God hates them. All right. And then lastly, and we'll finish the chapter with this and we're going to get through it. But the last responsibility of the preacher is to promote humility. And I looked, I, I read over these verses and I'll, I'll uh, <clears throat> admit to you, I had to go to, I try not to go to the commentary until I'm done and know kind of what I want to talk about and what I think the Bible means. And then I go in there to see what did he talk about? And sometimes I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, yeah I, that's what I, that's what I thought it meant. But look at verses Chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. It says, Therefore let no man glory in men. That makes sense, right? For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ and Christ is God's. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that here in, for a few minutes. we got about five minutes left. But this last um, responsibility of the preacher is to promote humility. And I think, so I have an eight-year-old daughter. You all know Emma. Um, that's one of the things that we are stressing to her constantly. When you're argumentative, when you're contrary, even with your friends, that's pride. When somebody says something and you cannot help but correct them because they it's not exactly right, you know, the way the story went or something. You know, they, hey, this happened. No, no, what happened is, that's pride. You cannot let somebody be wrong without correcting them. And we tell her this all the time. Why do you correct? Why do you put other people down? This is for us too. Why do we put other people down? To make ourselves look better, right? You tell, you, you're talking about somebody else and you say, man, why would they do that? That's stupid. You're saying, I would never do that. Because it's stupid. What I would do, because our pride, right? And then I have to remember, and sometimes Sarah reminds me, she's my daughter. Where does she learn that from? She learns that from, from me, right? Um, we need to promote humility in our families, uh, in our churches. And that's the, that is, starts with uh, fathers, but that is also in the church. That's the pastor's job. There should be, we talked about this, 1 Corinthians 1.10, there should be no divisions in the church. 
because, read verse 10. How do we get rid of it? That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We've put our eyes on Christ. And the divisions go away. Same thing in the family, right? I'm getting sidetracked. We're going to finish up this chapter. All right? So, to promote humility... And I wrote this down. It didn't get this from Matthew Henry. I kind of put a bunch of thoughts together. But we are in great danger of deceiving ourselves when we have too high an opinion of human wisdom and arts. And this is why I think sometimes come from things like seminary. There's nothing wrong with seminary. There's nothing wrong with going and getting a better education, especially as a pastor, to to help you get a, a better grasp on how to study the Bible or what the Bible is saying in certain topics or learn, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the cultural things in the, of the Jews so we can better understand the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we start to rely and have too high an opinion of human wisdom, that's where we have a problem. And I think I've seen this several times of really good friends of mine. They go to um, uh, a seminary or whatever else, and they come back, and the next thing you know, they're actually questioning things that are very obvious in God's Word. Well, what I think it actually means, or what I think it should say, and that's what was happening here with the Corinthians. Uh, they, were, they were starting to change what Paul had taught them because somebody else was teaching something a little different, and Paul, Paul really addresses that. But verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. We talked about Paul was no fool. Paul was no slouch. He was, he was cultured and, and knew what he was talking about when it came to the Greeks, the Jews, the Pharisees, you know, the synagogue. He knew what was going on, the Old Testament. But he very specifically tells us in chapter 2, I purposely, chapter 2, verse 1, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. For what reason? So that God could get the glory, remember? So when we have too high of an opinion of ourselves and we start uh, you know, getting people to look at what, what I studied in the Bible, there's nothing wrong with teaching somebody, man, I came across this, this is good, right? But when we have too high of an opinion of ourselves and human wisdom, we become very, it's very dangerous. Plain and pure Christianity will likely... Be despised by those who can suit their doctrines to the corrupt taste of their hearers and set them off with fine language or support them with a show of deep and strong reasoning. And I wrote this down. Just because someone can make a false doctrine sound reasonable and convincing does not mean it's right or of God. And you'll see that. Um, And I'm not going to belabor that point. But um, our hearts are deceitful. Remember that. Above all things and desperately wicked. World tells us, follow your heart. Follow your heart. And God says, don't do that. If you're going to follow anything, don't follow your heart. Follow me. Follow my word. Uh, we have to be a fool in our own eyes. And that doesn't mean, Pastor says this all the time, humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself, right? Somebody that's, you know, smart and, and does a good message, you know, preaches a good message or something like that. You don't come off the pulpit, that was terrible, that was bad. It's not, that's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less, right? So 
you have a need, but you see a need over here, you know what, I'll take care of me later. I'm going to take care of them first. All right? That's humility. Become a fool in your own eyes. Doesn't mean you have to tell everybody, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. Become a fool in your own eyes. Because Job chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to go there and read this. Job chapter 4, verse 18. I love Job because Job, in Job all the time, he's saying, God is telling Job, where were you when I, when I did this? Where were you? You think you're so great. Or you, where were you? Job chapter 4, verse 18 says this. Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly. Compared to God, even the angels were foolish. And he says this, verse 19. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. He's talking about us. Crushed before the moth. But he's saying, how much less uh, trust does God put in us? Compared to God, we are fools. And we need to see that. We need to see ourselves as that way. And I'm telling, that's what I'm saying. I don't mean that we don't ever read a book. We don't ever try to study because I'm, I'm a fool. Compared to God, I'm a fool. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should study. But we need to remember, compared to God, we don't have any understanding. Okay? Um, and we need to rely on the Holy Spirit for that understanding. All right, but he who seems to be wise must become a fool that he may be wise. In the Bible, this is all through the Bible. You want to be strong, be weak. Be weak in your own eyes and God will make you strong. You want to be wise, become a fool in your own eyes and God will make you wise. He must be sensible of his own ignorance and lament it. He must distrust his own understanding and lean not on it. I'm a self-made man. Distrust your own understanding. That doesn't mean that you take experiences that you've had and, and don't learn from them. That means distrust what you think. And I preached a message on this a while back. But if it comes down to making a decision and your decision you find contradicts what the Bible says, your decision is wrong. Change it and follow what the Bible says. Psalm chapter 25 verse 9 says this. The meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. The meek, not the proud who refuses to change, the meek, all right? All right, then he says, and we're getting to verse 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Don't deify others, even if they're pastors, even if they're preachers. You like a preacher? We talk about this. That's fine. Listen to that preacher. But don't then come to your pastor and say, hey, this preacher said, these these preachers, these pastors, if they're truly trying to serve God, all have the same goal. It's to see people saved and see people grow in Christ. All right? I'm going to read this very quickly and then we'll be done. And this, this is, I got this from Matthew Henry. That's what I started to say. I just couldn't, couldn't really wrap my head around what was going on there in verses 21 through 23. And this is what he says. Ministers are not to be set up in competition with one another. All faithful ministers are serving one Lord and pursuing one purpose. They were appointed for Christ for the benefit of the church. Paul and Apollos and Cephas are all yours. One is not to be set up against another, but they're all to be valued and used for your spiritual benefit. So he's saying, follow whoever you want. Follow all three of them. I don't care. But it's for your benefit spiritually. Upon this occasion... 
Paul gives an inventory of the church's possessions, the spiritual riches of a true believer. So this is what verses 21 through 23 are talking about. This is our possessions as a Christian. All is yours, ministers of all ranks, ordinary and extraordinary. Nay, the world itself is yours. This is, this is Matthew Henry's uh, commentary on it. He's saying, God gave these preachers to the church for your benefit. Uh, not that saints are proprietors of the world, but it stands for their sake. They have as much of it, they have as much of it as itself, as infinite wisdom sees to be fit for them. And they have all they have with the divine blessing. Life is yours. That's what he says in verse two, uh, 22 at the end. All are yours. He says, life is yours, that you may have a season and opportunity prepare, to prepare for the life of heaven. And death is yours, that you may go to the possession of it. It is the kind messenger that will fetch you to your father's house. Things present are yours for your, for your support on the road to heaven. Things to come are yours to enrich and regale you forever at your journey's end. If we belong to Christ and we are true to him, all good belongs to us and it is sure to us. All is ours, time and eternity, earth and heaven, life and death. We shall want no good thing, but it must be remembered at the same time that we are Christ, the subjects of his kingdom. His property. So we have everything, but we're Christ's. Then he says this, He is Lord over us, and we must own His dominion and cheerfully submit to His command and yield themselves to His pleasure if we would have all things ministered to our advantage. All things are ours upon no other ground than our being Christ. They're ours because we're Christ's. Basically our inheritance. That's what he's talking about here in, verse, in these last three verses. And he says, uh, out of him we are without just title or claim to anything that is good. Those that would be safe for time and happy for eternity must be Christ's. And then the last verse, and Christ is God's, anointed of God, commissioned by him to bear the office of mediator and to act therein for the purpose of his glory. All things are the believers that Christ may have honor in this great undertaking and God in all might have the glory. God in Christ reconciling a sinful world to himself and shedding abroad the riches of his grace on a reconciled world is the sum and substance of the gospel. And that's what the whole point of verses 20 through 23 are. This is the gospel. The world is yours, everything in it. The preachers, God gave you for edification. Don't forget your Christ. And don't forget that Christ is God's. He's there as the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. All right, that is the end of chapter 3. We're going to get into chapter 4 next week with the... Uh, fourth problem of flattering themselves. All right, let's finish and we'll get ready for the next service. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for the instruction, the uh, warnings, and the uh, understanding we can get from this uh, passage that we uh, studied today. God, I pray that we would prepare for the, time, for, the, for the end times, for the time to come, for our time in heaven when we stand before you, that we would build everything uh, with gold, silver, and precious stones, God, that we would look for pure and sound doctrine, that you would help our pastor as he leads us, help us to be led, and that you would, uh, God, just help us to have understanding of what your word says. Pray that you bless the next hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed.